the one true and living God. All right, you guys can be seated uh, as we have a song for you this morning. And it actually comes to us, it's, it's based off of, of the book of Psalms. Uh, if I can get my Bible open here. It's based off of Psalm 91. Uh, Psalm 91 verse 1 says, He that dwelleth in the sacred place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say unto the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God. In Him will I trust. So we'll sing, Christ will be my hideaway.
God whom we trust, the God who we place our hope in, Christ, our hideaway. Let's go ahead and take a few minutes of fellowship before we get to the sermon.
That was some great singing this morning. I don't know if you guys enjoyed it as much as I did. That last song, I looked at Gracie and I said, that was amazing. They done an awesome job with an awesome song, Christ Will Be My Hideaway. May that be the, the theme of our lives, that he's the one we turn to in everything. Uh, so we're going to finish out Matthew 25 today. So if you've got your Bibles, turn there for one last time. I think we've been in Matthew 24 and 25 for right around almost five to six months. So we've been here for a long time, and we get to finish it today, and we get to see how it all ends. And it's uh, not just how the study ends. We get to see how uh, all of humanity, all of history ends, how the world ends. We get to see it right here today, and we end today with one final question at the end. I think Jesus is putting an exclamation point at the end of this sermon, uh, almost like he's ending it, and, and I'm going to call for an invitation. Because here in this last section, it all boils down to this. It all comes to this last question, how, how will you spend eternity? Or where will you spend eternity? Which side will you be on in eternity? So, so I want to title this sermon today, The Great and Final Separation. Because that's what it comes to. It comes to the end, and there's two directions that you're going to go, and you have to answer that question. Where will I spend eternity? On what side will I be on in the great and final separation? So we all need to search our hearts today and see where we stand or where we will stand in that great and final separation. So let's stand together. I'm going to read to you a large section of Scripture here, starting in verse 31. And I'm going to read through verse 46. And again, this is the great and final separation. Starting in verse 31, again, this is a climactic, climactic ending to this. Starting in verse 31, Jesus says, When the Son of Man shall come in His glory, and all the holy angels with Him, then shall He sit upon the throne of His glory, and before Him shall be gathered all nations. And He shall separate, there's the word for the sermon today, He shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. He shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was in hunger, and you gave me meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee hungered and fed thee, or thirsty and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger and took thee in, or naked and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick and, or in prison and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as you have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, you have done it unto me. Then shall he say also to them on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungered, and you gave me no meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you took me not in. Naked, and you clothed me not. Sick, and in prison, and you visited me not. Then shall they answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee in hungered, or thirst, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister unto thee? Then shall he answer them, saying, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as you did it not to one of the least of these, you did it not to me. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous unto life eternal. This is a great and final separation. Let's pray together and we'll study it. Father, we thank you for showing us these things. That we don't have to guess how all things are going to end. We have a clear picture of it here. And God, I pray that you would use this passage today to prepare all of our hearts for that great and final day. When everyone will stand before your son and be judged. 
God, prepare our hearts for that day. Help us to see very clearly where we stand today so that we'll know where we will stand in that day. Help me to teach this, God. I think it's a difficult passage. And I pray that you would help me to preach this in a way that everyone in here could easily understand it. Give us ears to hear, eyes to see, a heart to believe these things today. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Here's your statement. Death is not the end for anyone. The Bible says that, it, in, that it's appointed unto man once to die. That's every single one of us is going to die. And then we have an appointment with death. And we don't know what that appointment is. That there is a, a date set, there's a time set that every single one of us is going to die. We don't know that. God knows that. So it's appointed unto man once to die. We're all going to die, but that's not the end of us. For it says it's appointed unto man once to die, and then the judgment. And there's going to be a judgment. There's going to be a division. There's going to be a, a separation when the truth will be revealed about every single one of us. No one can escape it. There will be a line that will be drawn and everyone in that moment, whether it be at death or at His second coming or at the final judgment, every single one of us will go in one of two directions. There's only two directions. You're either going to go to heaven or you're going to go to hell. That's not a very popular statement to make because most people today think that all dogs go to heaven. Everybody's going to go to heaven. All you have to do is die and you get to go to heaven. Only the, the worst of the worst would even go to, to hell. But the Bible makes it very clear. Jesus makes it very clear that there's only two directions that you're going to go. You're going to go to, to heaven or you're going to go to hell. That's, that's the only places to go. There's no middle ground anywhere. You're either going to be eternally rewarded or you're going to be eternally punished. Jesus made this very clear. Luke 16, He said there was Lazarus and he went to Abraham's bosom and there was the rich man who went into torment. And there was a great chasm fixed between them where you couldn't go from one to the other. There's a heaven and there's a hell. I'll give you another one. John 5. Marvel not at this. For the hour is coming in which all that are in the graves shall hear His voice and shall come forth. They that have done good under the resurrection of life. And they that have done evil under the resurrection of damnation. Jesus makes it abundantly clear. There's only two directions that any of us are going to go. It's heaven or it's hell. And we need to hear that. Because we need to ask the question, which place am I going? When I witness to somebody, I ask them that question. If you were to die right now and stand before God, would you go to heaven or would you go to hell? We need to ask that question. We need to answer that question. I think it's the most important question we could ever ask. Which place will I spend my eternity? I, I think we need to know which side we're going to be on. And Jesus is trying to show us that here at the end. He wants to prepare us for that day. Where will we stand? He wants to help us answer it very clearly. Today, we need to get this right. Jesus has already said in verse 31, He's coming back. And He's not coming back as a baby. He's coming back as a conquering king ready to judge the world. That's verse 31. The Son of Man coming in all of His glory with all the holy angels. And He's going to sit on a throne of glory. Jesus is coming back. And when He comes back, He's going to gather. It says in verse 32, all the nations. Joel 3 called it the valley of decision where untold multitudes will stand before Jesus in Jerusalem and be judged. Multitudes upon multitudes of people will stand before Him and one by one be separated. It says there. 
There's going to be a separation in that day. A great and final separation. He's going to separate them like a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. I think some will be obvious. You know that. There's going to be some where they line up and, and they never profess to Jesus. They, they never, uh, they may have been atheist or agnostic and, and there was no doubt whatsoever where they're going to go. That's an easy separation. You're going to go to hell. And there's going to be a, I think a tougher one. And that's the sheep and the goats. That, that's not sheep and wolves, that's sheep and goats. And, and I said it last week, he, he says sheep and goats because sheep and goats are harder to tell apart. This is the real versus those who said so and wasn't real. The real and the phony. Those who are going to walk up to Jesus and some are going to say, yes, I'm going to go to heaven, and he sends them to hell. There's going to be a lot of surprised people in that day. And Jesus is trying to make sure here that we aren't surprised in that day. I don't want any of you to be surprised. So Jesus is going to make this clear. He separates, He determines, He distinguishes. And the question we have to ask is, what's the dividing line? Why do some get to go to hell and some get to go to heaven? We need to know the dividing line. How does Jesus distinguish between the two? How does he separate? We need to know how, here's the question, Jesus judges. He judges differently than we do. So we need to know in this passage today how Jesus judges. This is big. There's a lot at stake here, massive eternal consequences. This is not a passage about social work. This is a passage about how you will spend eternity. Politicians have taken and twisted this passage. You'll hear them say it all the time. I mean, the, the most favorite passage of, of all the politicians is Matthew 25. But it's not about social work. It's about where you'll spend eternity. Amen. So let's see how Jesus judges in the great and final separation. I've only got two points for you today. Isaiah said it the other day to me. He was riding down the road. He said, Dad, I know. When you say two points, it means about 15 subpoints. He said, when you say three points, I'm okay with it. Two points scares me. <laughs> So we have two points here today because we only have two sides. If there was more than, one, than, than two sides, we'd have more than two points. I'm going to only give you two sides. I'm going to give you the right side and the wrong side. And I'm going to ask you at the end, which side are you on? So let's look at number one, the right side. The right side. It starts in verse 34. This is the right side. The very easy. This is a simple outline. Just wait till I get to the subpoints. Verse 34. He says, Then shall the king say, And the king obviously, very clearly, is Jesus. He's the one doing the judging. He comes back and Jesus is drawing the line. He's the one saying, here's the line, you're going here and you're going there. Jesus is the judge. Jesus makes the decision. I want to say this. Allah is not making the decision. Buddha is not making the decision. Krishna is not making the decision. Joseph Smith isn't making the decision. The decision in the final day is made by Jesus Christ. He's the king and the judge here. Amen. So he says to those on the right, you see that? He says, unto them on his right hand. I gotta get this right. On the right would be heaven. I'm gonna get, uh, um, you're gonna be seeing me do this a lot. On the right and on the left. Later in the sermon, I may say on the right and on the left. I may get it backwards. But he says to those on his right. And this right is a place of honor place of favor. In the court, if you were innocent, the judge would send you to his right hand. You'd stand before a judge and he would send you one of two directions. Guilty to the left, innocent to the right. In family, the father would lay his right hand on someone. It's, a, it's honor. 
It's favor. I favor you. Jesus, when He ascended into heaven, He was seated on the right hand of the throne of God on high. It's a place of honor. It's a place of privilege. It's a place of, of favor. So He says to those on His right, come. He invites them in. I, I, I love that. It's the sweetest words that anybody will ever hear in the day of judgment. Come. He's inviting them into the kingdom. In, into heaven. So the question is, and we have to get this, and I'm going to spend a, a lot of time on verse 34, because the big question, how did they get on the right? How did they get God's favor? How did they get the place of honor? What did they do or not do that, God, that Jesus will say, yes, you're on the right and you get to go in. This is the big question. Some would say that they're on the right because of the social work that they do. That they fed the hungry and, and clothed the, the naked and visited those in prison and, and they were social justice warriors and that's why they get to go to heaven. I think that's nonsense. I think in verse 34 he tells us exactly why they get to go in. And first of all, I'm going to give you three phrases here. I told you subpoints. First, uh, first, the first reason they get to go in, it's in verse 34. They were blessed of the Father. That's why they get to go in. And it is, enter in, come in, my Father's blessed ones. It is the favored ones. It is the, the ones who have been shown grace. That's what blessing is. We don't deserve it. We don't earn it. We don't work for it. God just decides to show us favor. That's the grace of God. That it wasn't anything they did. It's because I chose to, to favor you. That's the blessing of God. The source of this blessing is God in heaven. The Father, it says. So they're in the right because the Father chose to bless them. That's it. So it's first of all, blessed of the Father. Second, because they were born into the family. Look what it says. Come ye blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom. You, you see that? You don't earn, I hope you understand this, an inheritance. You don't work for an inheritance. The only way anyone will get an inheritance from their father is by being born into the family. It's the only way. My kids will get the inheritance that I give them when, they, when I die. They'll get every coffee mug that I have. <laughs> All the money I have in Starbucks cards. Will go to, to my children. They, <laughs> you're getting a lot. What are we going to do with these coffee mugs? Not because of anything they did or worked or earned, but because they were born into my family. Because they're my children. That's why they get it. And that's what he's saying here. No one works for it, no one earns it. It's just given. It's the, the blessing and favor of, of the Father again. And then I'm going to give you one more. It's not just they were blessed of the Father or born into the family. It's because it, it was chosen before the foundation of the world. Look at that. Come ye blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom which was prepared for you, underline you, before the foundation of the world. What a statement. Enter the kingdom prepared for you. Prepared for you before there was a you. This has been prepared for you before you could do any good deeds to earn it. This was prepared for you before you could do any of these social work things. This was prepared for you before you fed anybody that was hungry or clothed somebody that was naked or visited somebody that was in prison. This was chosen for you before the foundation of the world. 
So they got in, and I've got to answer this question. Because everybody uses this passage to say that you've got to do these works to get into heaven. That's nonsense. You've got to be blessed of the Father, born again into the family of God, and, and chosen before the foundation of the world in order to get into heaven. This is all from the source, which is the Father in heaven. We need to understand this. If we get into heaven, it'll be the same way they do by the wonderful grace of Almighty God. It's the only way any of us get in. Because He blessed me. He chose to bless me, favor me. He gave me new life. He prepared a place for me before the foundation of the world. This is the reason. Because of the marvelous grace of Almighty God. The only way any of us get into heaven, understand that, it's not that we earn it or work for it or that we're good enough for it. It's because of the grace of Almighty God. That's it. It's all Him. And that's all over Scripture. Romans 8. He foreknew. He predestined. He called. He justified. He glorified. What did you do? Receive the blessing. I, I can give you more. I, I told you I want to. I, I, I got to get this. I've read so much nonsense on this passage that that I, I've got to show you. Ephesians two. You, you don't have to turn there. You can. But verse four says, "But God, <laughs> you see that, who is rich in mercy, for His great love wherewith He loved us. Why did He love us? Because He chose to love us." Ain't nothing I did. He loved me before I ever knew Him. Watch this. Even when we were dead in our sins, hath He quickened us uh, together with Christ. It's by grace that you're saved. He hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace and His kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith, and it's not of yourselves, not of works, lest any single one of us could ever boast, look what I did. It's all of God. I've got another one. You guys are in for it today. Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 9. Get this. It says, who, who, again, it's according to the power of God, who hath saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. I've got, I've got one more. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant, overwhelming mercy hath begotten us again unto the lively hope by the resurrection from the, of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, that is reserved in heaven for you. It's all of God. It's all by the grace of, of Almighty God. And you go to Revelation. I don't have time to go there. But in Revelation, everybody who stands in heaven knows exactly who deserves the credit for them getting there. They know that the crown doesn't go on my head. It's not something I work for. Not something I earned. It's something that He did. He gets the crown. He gets the glory. It's all of Him and not of me. The only thing that I bring to salvation was a sin that made it necessary. So the ultimate reason that they're going to get into the kingdom or into heaven is the Father. You've got to see that. Blessed of my Father. That's the theological part. And I had to get that out of the way. You need to know that. That's salvation. This is the DNA of a sheep. This is down on the molecular level of the sheep. This is what makes a sheep a sheep. This is what makes sheep 
sheepy. Deep down inside where you can't see. This is what God has done in my heart. This is the invisible. This is only what God sees. So now, in verse 35, we go to the visible part. If, if verse 34 is what makes a sheep a sheep, if that's what makes a, a Christian a Christian, that we're blessed of the Father, born again into the kingdom, and, and uh, prepared before the foundation of the world, then now this is how Christians act. This is how a sheep should act. The best way to tell a sheep from the goat is how they act. I looked that up this week. The best way to tell the difference is their behavior. The best way to tell a true Christian from a fake Christian is their behavior. There's two ways for us to tell people we're saved. Our lips and our lives. And only one of those will lie. So now he goes from this is who you are. This is your DNA. This is you on the molecular level. This is you deep down inside where nobody can see. Only you know deep down. And only God knows deep down. But now to how everybody will know you're a Christian. In how you act. Verse 35. Says verse 4. Or because. Here's how they act. If if verse 34 is the, the root of salvation. Then verse 35 is the fruit. That if we're saved. We will do these things. Verse 35. He gives six acts that they do here. I was hungry and you gave me meat. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came unto me. Six things. Hungry, thirsty, homeless, naked, sick, and in jail. This is common issues in those day, in that day. And he said, and they, you were kind. You were loving. You showed grace. You met needs. You wasn't selfish, you was selfless. You saw someone in need. This is the act that defines a Christian. You showed love. When the rest of the world was cruel and mean and brutal and overlooked everybody like that, you stood out because you took care of needs. And that's what should stand out about Christians. We know all those things theologically, the, the DNA of who we are and what, what God has done in our hearts, but how does that work out into how we live our day-to-day -day lives? And, and the, the salvation that, that God has given us must work out or will work out into love, kindness, grace. You need to see that these things, and, and I, I just, I'm just thinking about these things. They're not big. These are not big things. They're not showy. They're not spectacular things. He didn't say because you went to church. Did you see that? For, for you went to church. You went to Sunday school. You sang some songs. You, I mean, it, it doesn't, doesn't give those things that, that, that we say most Christians do. And they do those things. But those things can be easily faked. Just because you went to church doesn't mean you're saved. The act that separates a sheep from a goat is kindness and love. Simple, everyday acts that no one saw or knew about. We won't go around bragging about that. Nobody saw you give a little bit of money to somebody who's hungry. Nobody saw you go visit somebody in prison. It's just what you did. It's just who you are. 
It's what God has worked in and is now working out. You've been shown grace. So now you automatically show that grace in return. He's been kind to me. So I now am kind to others. He loved me before I ever knew Him. So I must show love. It's who we are. It's it's what we do. It's the greatest evidence of being a Christian. It shows a change of heart that we love other people. This is how real Christians act. It's not theological accuracy. It's not any church service you, you attend. That's okay. It's as simple as everyday acts of love. Again, in a mean, cruel world that's brutal to everybody, we ought to stand out because of our love. And then he says, I I like this, this is maybe my favorite part of the whole passage. Then shall the righteous, again, that's who they are, the righteous. He calls them the, the ones in right standing with God. How did they get righteous status? How did they become right with God? Because they were blessed of the Father, born again, and, and had a kingdom prepared before the foundation of the world. So the righteous will answer him, when did we do that? When did we see you as a stranger and took you in? When did I, when did I see you naked and give you clothes? When did I see you sick or in prison and come unto you? When did, when did I do that? I think I would remember that. I love that question. Because it wasn't on the list of things that they were saying, look what I've done. They wasn't proud of it. It wasn't working for their salvation. It wasn't them trying to earn it. It wasn't being done to be seen. They wasn't doing it for a reward. They wasn't taking a selfie with a homeless man saying, gave him some clothes. It's just how they lived every single day. When did I do that? It's just what they did. It's just who they were. Their heart was changed. Their motive was, was pure. They were doing it out of a heart of love. They can't imagine doing, getting a reward for it. That's just, that's just what you do. That's just who I am. I'm not bragging on it. I don't want everybody to see it. I'm just doing that. I'm living that life. When did I, I do that? And Jesus gives this answer. And the king shall answer and say, Listen, verily, I say unto you, Inasmuch as you've done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren. I like that. The least of these. The lowest and most overlooked and least important person. And then he adds, my brethren. You know who that is? This is another place where we get this passage wrong. He's talking about our brothers and sisters in Christ in this passage. He's not talking about how we treat the world. If he was talking about that, he would say, I mean, he's already, uh, love your enemies or uh, love your neighbor as yourself. That, that's how we treat the world. But here he's saying, you've taken care of my people. You've been good to, the, to, to his family. Those other brothers and sisters that were born into the family. We took care of each other. I love that Jesus identifies with his people. Be very careful how you treat God's people. Jesus identifies with them intimately. That what you do to God's people, you do to him. When Saul was knocked off his high horse, Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? You're beating and persecuting and killing 
me when you do that to my people. This is something everybody misses in our church age today. That Jesus and his church, his people, are intimately intertwined. And how you treat his people is how you treat him. How you talk about his people. How you talk about his bride is how you talk about him. I've said this so many times from this pulpit that it it, it don't matter to me. You may love me and you may say you love me and you may treat me so well. But if you talk about my wife, you're talking about me. Me and her are one together. And she'd feel the same way, I think. (laughs) She does. I've heard her say that. She gets more mad if somebody says something about me than if they say something about her. There's a a connection there. We we are. The the two have become one in in me and her. And that's the way Christ is with His bride. And people today say they love Christ and they hate His bride. Talk bad about it and look down on it and, and, and persecute it. You can't love Jesus and not love His bride, the church. So be careful how you treat His people. Jesus takes it personally. So let me say this as I'm moving from this point. That meal you cooked for somebody in the church, you may have been doing it, just not even thinking about it. But you were not just cooking that meal for somebody in the church, you were doing it for Christ. You didn't think about it that way. You know why you did it? Because your heart had been changed. You've been blessed of the Father, born again into the kingdom, and has been prepared for the foundation of the world. Because of the source, verse 34, you now have the service of verse 36 through 40. You, you with me on that? I love that. Because of the source, the salvation in verse 34, you do all these things now in service to your brethren. That meal you cooked for somebody in the church was just as much for them as it was for Christ. Let me go on. That card you sent, you didn't think anything of it. Just sending a card. You might as well have been sending it to Christ. That hospital visit you made, you may as well have been visiting Christ. That jacket you gave away to somebody who needed it in the church, handing it to Christ. That's what he says here. The service that proves your salvation is love for the brethren. They'll know we are Christians by our love. And not just the love for the world. We do. We love our enemies. We love our neighbors. But ultimately, our greatest love is for Christ and His church. This is where we all desire to be. We want more of this in our lives. Every one of us wants this. And I think we'll need more of this in the days ahead than we've ever needed it. We're going to need, as the, the world gets worse, and this is again the end, time th- end times things, that as, as the day approaches of Jesus' return, the, those Christians in that time, or the worst time, are going to need each other. They're going to need to, you to, to visit them in, in prison and, and give them food when they're hungry and clothes when they're naked and, and water when they're thirsty and, and when they're sick, go and take care of them. Because the world's not going to do it, so we're going to have to take care of each other. We're going to need this in the days ahead. We're going to watch out for each other and be there for each other and stand with each other just as if we're standing with Christ. So this is the right. And he says, come on in. The sweetest words you'll ever hear. That's the right side. 
Now I want to show you the wrong side. The goats. And these goats pretend to be sheep. You can hang with sheep. You can go to church with the sheep. And still go to hell with the goats. You can... See if I can get this right. I thought it up this week. Steph told me not to use it. You can graze with the sheep and still go to hell and blaze with the goats. I like that. So let's look at the wrong side. Because now he says in verse 41, the opposite. Then, you see that? Here comes the separation. We have those who are going to the right. Come in, blessed of my Father. Uh, you, you have an inheritance that's been prepared before the foundation of the world. And you've done all these things as, as evidence of, of your salvation. We see it now. It's, it's clear. Come on in. And then, to the left. This is where you don't want to go. Here comes, and you, you've already said it, if the right is a place of honor and privilege, then the left is a place of dishonor. You don't want to be on the left, and that's not a political statement. I've, I've, people have said, that, you know, that's why I'm on the right politically. It has nothing to do with that. Amen. Then shall he say unto them on the left hand. It's the exact opposite. Just, just watch verse 41. And, and, and connect it with an arrow to verse 34. He said to those on the right, come. And he says to those on the left, depart. You see that? Come on in. Depart from me. Come on in. Leave. And then he says, it's not blessed. Verse 34, blessed of my father. Verse 41, cursed. The exact opposite. And then he says, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Down here he says, go into everlasting fire, which was prepared for the devil and his angels. Depart unto me and go to hell. Come and enter and go into heaven. Those who are blessed of my father. Cursed of the Father, go into everlasting punishment. It's hell. This is describing unbelievers. Cursed. Nowhere in the Bible will you ever find a believer called cursed. You know why we're not called cursed? Because Jesus went on the cross and took my curse and paid for my sin. We are not cursed, we are the blessed. 1 Corinthians 16 says, If any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be cursed. And then it says, heaven was prepared for us before the foundation of the world. That was God's choice. You understand that? That was God's choice in verse 34. God did that. He chose to bless me. He, he prepared the kingdom from the foundation of the world. He did that. Verse 41, hell wasn't prepared for man. It was prepared for the devil and his angels. Man made the choice to go there himself. I like that. If you go to heaven, it's all because of God. Entirely of His grace. Nothing you did. No works. Didn't earn it. Wasn't good enough. And if you go to hell, it's 100% all your choice. I believe in the sovereignty of God over salvation and I believe in the responsibility of man over their own damnation. If you go to hell, it's 100% your own fault. You're to blame. It's your choice. So again, this is the, the theological part in verse 41. This is who they are. This is the, the goat deep down in his DNA. It, it's, it's the secret part, verse 31. This is who they are in, in the heart. This is uh, how goats, what the goats are. 
So now he goes into how the goats act. How a lost person will act. And it's the opposite of how a saved person will act. How, do we, how does a goat act? I looked it up. Goats are obnoxious and mean and unloving and you can't get around them. Don't you dare, it says, try to pet a goat. I've never tried to pet a goat. <laughs> now I'm never going to try to pet a goat. They're mean. Sheep, you can walk right up to them and, and, and you know, they got the, they got the, you know, they're big and fluffy and they look so kind and I don't, they're not mean. But goats are. Goats act differently than sheep do. Christians act differently than non-Christians. Christians act in a loving way. How do non-Christians act? Look what it says. Then shall I say unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Here's what you did. Here's how they acted. For I was hungry and you didn't give me meat. I was thirsty and you didn't give me drink. I was a stranger and you didn't take me in. I was naked and you didn't clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you didn't visit me. It's the exact opposite. These people saw needs and just kept on walking. These people walked on by. These people scoffed at it. These people said, let them fend for themselves. These people said, oh, they deserve it. These people said, i got to take care of me. These people just, just said, eh, forget them. Just kept on going. Nose up in the air. Showed no concern. These people lived their lives and didn't care for anyone else but themselves. And they demonstrated absolutely no love whatsoever for the people of God. It shows their heart. They didn't know grace. So in return, they didn't show grace. If you know grace, you'll show grace. If you've been the recipient of the kindness of God, you will respond with kindness to others. It wasn't that they did horrible crimes. You see that? There's no murder here. Depart from me, you murderer. Depart from me, you uh, uh, adulterer. Depart from me, you homosexual. Depart from me, you did all these wicked and evil things. It's not what they did. It's what they didn't do. You didn't show love. You depart from me. It was a lack of love for the brethren that showed they were unbelievers. And they didn't even know it. Look at this. Again, surprise. They walked up to the judgment thinking they were going to go to the right. They may have even walked up to the judgment with a long list of things that they deserved, that they had done, and, and going to list it off for Jesus and say, look at all these big things that I did. Matthew chapter 7, did I not cast out demons in your name? Did I not do this? And did I not do that? And, and name all these big things that they did. And you may stand before God one day and say, look what I did. I went to church and listened to that preacher preach for hour upon hour upon hour. You've got to let me in. <laughs> look, look what I did. I got baptized. I've got a certificate of perfect attendance in Sunday school. Ah, And they're just listing things of, of all they did. And they get there and they got this long list of things that they did. And Jesus says, depart from me and gives them a list of things they didn't do. And the only thing on the list is you didn't love. You wasn't kind. You didn't show mercy. And they're surprised by it. <laughs> Matthew 25 is full of surprise. And I think at the judgment there will be more people surprised than not. I think there will be people surprised. I didn't do enough. Come in. 
And people who, I did so much, depart from me. The bridesmaids were surprised when the groom showed up. The servants were surprised when the master showed up. And here you have these goats that are surprised when they go to the left. Look what it says. Then shall they also answer him saying, Lord, when did we do that? Wait a minute. I know I never helped anybody else. But I would have remembered if I would seen you, Jesus, I would have helped you. That would have been a big deal. I told everybody about it. When did that happen? I would have. If I would known it had been you, I would have done it. And he says, again, when did we see that? Verse 44. When did we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or naked or sick or in prison and, and didn't, didn't minister to you? When? 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 I, I, we would have done that. And then he answers him and says, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as you didn't do it to the least of these, my brethren, you didn't do it unto me. When you ignored the church, you ignored Jesus. That might be something people need to hear today. When you overlooked your brethren, you overlooked Jesus. When you didn't stand, and this is big for our day to day, We've got to decide where we stand in our culture today. Will we stand with the world or will we stand with the church? We've got a lot of people in our culture today that's taking a stand with the world. When you refuse to stand with the church, you refuse to stand with Christ. When you didn't love them, you didn't love me. Jesus and his people again are closely connected. I saw a quote the other day. If Jesus didn't care if we went to church or not, why did he build a church? Jesus loves his church. And how we treat his people, the church, is how we treat him. First John. I'm going to take you there. First John chapter 3. Verse 14. Let's go to verse 11. I might just start at verse 1. No, verse 11. Let's go there. For this is the message that you heard from the, from the beginning, that you should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of the wicked one, and slew his brother. And wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil and his brothers were righteous. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hates you. See, the world's going to hate us. We spend way too much time in the culture of our church today trying to make the world love us. The world's going to hate you. So we need to be with the church who will love us. Marvel not, my brethren. And there's that word brethren, his people. Jesus is always talking about when he says family or, or brethren. They came to his door and said, Jesus, your mom and your, your, your brethren are outside. He said, behold, my brethren. Looking at his followers, those who love him and obey him and follow him, he says he's not even ashamed to be called our brother. This is he's big on church. So he says here, Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hates you, they're going to hate you. 
We know that we have passed from death into life because we love the brethren. You know you're saved because you love the brethren. That's what it says there. You would think John might have been on that mountain listening to Jesus. He was. We know that we've passed from death to life. We know that we've went from being unsaved to being saved. And the proof is that you love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Still an unbeliever. Whosoever hates his brother is a murderer. (laughs) And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Verse 16. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Look at this, verse 17. But whoso hath this world's goods, and sees his brother in need, and shuts up his bowels of compassion from him, How in the world dwells the love of God in Him? When you see your brethren in need and you shut up the door of the bowels of your compassion and say, I can't help them. How can you say you love God when you want to love His people? My little children, verse 18. Let us not love in word, neither in tongue. Why? This is so good. Because our lives, we can say we're saved in two ways. By our our lips and by our life. And only one of those will lie. My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in how you act and in the truth. See that? You can stand up and say all you want. Oh, I love the brethren. Oh, I love the church. Oh, I love Christ's people. Oh, I, I love them. I love them. I love them. And say it all you want. Love, 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 love. And we do that. Everybody, love, 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 love. But if you don't show it in how you feed the hungry and give water to the thirsty and clothes to the naked and visit the sick and go visit those in prison, if you ain't doing those things and you're shutting the the door of compassion on your heart, then how in the world can you say you love them? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in the truth. Back to Matthew 25. Verse 45. Then shall he answer them, saying, Verily I say unto you, and as much as you did it not to one of the least of these, you did it not unto me. And that least of these is just the smallest of acts. This isn't anything big. I said it, it could be a card. It could be a... They say all you have to do as a pastor is go in for three to five minutes into a hospital room. And people think that's the biggest deal in the world. Three to five minutes. Anything under three minutes and you weren't there long enough? Anything over five and you've, you've worn out your welcome? With one little visit into a hospital room. One cup of water. One meal. One article of clothing. One card. So we, how we treat each other. And then he says in verse 46, and these will go into air. Everlasting punishment with the righteous into life eternal. There's your two ways again. These into everlasting punishment. And these righteous. There's how they, he describes them. Into life everlasting. We don't have any images of what this looks like. And I thought about that this week. We don't, Jesus doesn't give us a picture. Johnny said a picture is worth a thousand words. We had 270,000 words this morning in Sunday school. (laughs) 
Something like that. We have no pictures of hell. We don't know what that looks like to go to the left. And, and he says, depart from me, ye cursed. Go into everlasting punishment. What's beyond that? I think that Johnny had a picture of the of the, the ground opening up and people in Exodus falling in. I think that's the second coming here when Jesus judges that in that moment there there may be an opening of the ground and, and they fall in. Because the final judgment doesn't come to Revelation twenty. So what is that like? What, what what I was thinking about that. What what is supposed to be on that door? Or what's in that pit that they fall into? What's going to happen to them? Well, I mean, we need to know that. I could do a sermon next week on what's the door behind, uh, behind heaven. But what's the door behind hell? No pictures exist. But I'll tell you, I've got five subpoints I can give you to close out the sermon. Five truths about hell that we just get from this passage alone. And this isn't even me going full Bible theology on this. This is just from this passage. Number one truth about hell, it's eternal. You see that in verse 46? Everlasting punishment. There's no annihilationism here that you go to hell and after a while you're done and you're gone and it's over. And there's no consciousness for forever for you that you're going to go and be there for a short time and burn off all your sin and then you go to heaven. No, it's eternal. It's unending. As long as heaven lasts here is as long as hell lasts. If heaven is eternal, and it is, then hell is eternal too. You're going to go in there and you're never going to come out. Wow. Hell lasts on and on and on and on. You'll be there a million years and you still won't touch how long you're going to be there. Number two, it's painful. Matthew 25 called it weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's it's a, a physical torment. It's a conscience, mental torment, all the regret that you'll have in your mind for all eternity that I could have done something to stop this. Jesus paid it all. Jesus gave me an opportunity. I heard the Gospel and I didn't respond. What mental anguish that will be. Emotional. Spiritual. Physical torment. Don't you dare say, this is mean of me to say, but I'm going to say it anyway. The world's not going to love me anyway. Don't you dare say when an unbeliever dies, rest in peace. There is no rest and there is no peace in hell. Don't you dare say they're in a better place. They're in a worse place. Earth was like heaven to them compared to where they are now. Don't you dare say that they're out of their misery. They didn't know misery until they stepped behind that door. There's a real burning, a real loneliness, a real thirst, a real despair that is something that we can't even imagine. If heaven is unimaginable, and it is, we have no idea what God has prepared for us behind that door. But you have no idea what's been prepared for the devil and his demons. So it's painful. It's irreversible. There's no way out. The rich man said, I'm, I'm here. There's nothing I can do. The great chasm fixed between me and Lazarus and Abraham's bosom. I can't change it. I send somebody back to my brethren so that they won't come where I'm at. 
I can't change where I'm at, but I want to change where they're at. And Jesus, the parable said, no. They wouldn't believe even if somebody who was resurrected went back and told them. And Jesus was resurrected and came back to tell everybody. People still won't believe. It's irreversible. Four, it's terrible. Terrible. Jesus says, and this is the worst part, Jesus says, depart from me. Matthew 7, depart from me, I never knew you. Here in Matthew 25, 41, he says, depart from me, you cursed. Banished from the kingdom, denied access, no longer entering into the presence of, of the love and the grace of Almighty God. And you'll never have a chance to do that ever again. And, and that, that's the, the hardest part. Even unbelievers in this world know a little bit of the grace of God. There's kindness of God in the world that even He lets unbelievers eat and drink and be merry and, and, and have marriage and, and there's joy in this life. But when you enter in here, there's absolutely no grace whatsoever and no Jesus. Even Roger was talking about it the other day. The best part of heaven is Jesus is there. The worst part of hell is Jesus isn't there. It's terrible. Not only would you not be with Jesus, you will be with the devil and his angels. Go to the place prepared for the, the devil and his, and his demons. You acted like the devil here. Now go where the devil is there. You want to live like hell? That's where you're going to end up. You can't live like hell and expect to go to heaven. You were a child of the devil and in, in your life, you're going to spend eternity with the devil. And it won't be fun. I hear people say that all the time. Oh, we're going to rock and roll. and Yeah. It's not rocking and rolling. It's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And number five, and I'll close. I'm going a little bit long. It's avoidable. <laughs> you don't have to go there. There's a way out. There's a way of escape. God sent us a Savior. Jesus can be your hiding place. Yeah. And I think that may be the greatest torment of the entire thing in hell. That Jesus made a way and I didn't take it. Yeah. That I chose in this life to walk the broad way that leads to destruction instead of the narrow way that leads to life. Because get this, there's two ways to live now and there's two directions you'll go there. You're either walking the narrow way that's going to lead you to life or you're walking the broad way that leads to destruction. And because you chose to walk the broad way, you end up in destruction. So that comes to a fork in the road for some of you here today, don't it? If it's avoidable, then here's your opportunity to avoid it. Here's your chance. Fork in the road. I like that. You ride right in pound, you go up South Fork and you're going to go in two directions. I don't know which way. That, I mean, I don't like going that far. I love pound, but there's a certain point where it's, this ain't pound no more. You know? <laughs> I know a lot of people who live up to both sides. But you got a fork in the road and you have to decide which way you're going to go. And here you are today, there's a fork in the road and you're going to have to go the narrow way, which is following Jesus. You're going to have to go to the broad way that leads to, to destruction. You can avoid hell by putting your faith in Jesus Christ and having your sins forgiven, atoned for on the cross, and you today can be blessed of the Father, born again into the family, and go into that place before the foundation of the world is prepared. If you'll put your faith in Christ. 
It's not about good works and good deeds and, and being good enough. It's about Jesus who did the good works and did the good deeds and was good enough and died for our sins. Put your faith in Him and you'll go to heaven. Don't believe in Him and you'll go to hell. It's as simple as that. Jesus is the determiner of heaven or hell. So there it is, verse 46. These shall go into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. I give you that chance today. I'll give you that opportunity that today you can put your faith in Christ and be saved. But for those of you here that are saved, this is our chance to say, you know what? I do need to show more kindness. I, I, I want to say this. Our world is so mean. It's cruel. I won't let my kids on social media. It's the meanest place on earth. I mean, the things people say and do, and it's getting worse and worse and worse. And in this place right here, West End Baptist with these people, our brothers and sisters, we ought to be the kindest, most loving people on the planet. We'll stand out and they'll know us by how much we love each other. We'll do a clothes closet and hand out clothes. We'll do a, a ministry of, of meals and hand out food. We'll, we'll do everything we can to show love to our neighbor, love to our enemies, and you better believe it, we'll love each other. We're going to, in the days ahead, be more loving, more kind, more gracious to everybody than we've ever been. Why? Because He's been so kind and so loving and so gracious to me. That's all that I can do is show love to somebody else. If you know the, the grace of God, then show the grace of God. Let's commit our hearts today to stand with each other, to love each other, to be kind to each other, to meet needs for each other if we have to. Let's be the people that God asked us to be. Let's show grace because we know grace. So I ask you today, Christians, let's all make that commitment. God, help me to be more kind and loving and gracious in the days ahead. Because we're going to need that more than ever. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your word. Thank you for this passage. There's a lot in it. And I pray that I've done it justice. I know it probably didn't. But I pray that I've done my best with it. And that's been understandable. Uh, that people can take it to heart and say yes. I, I think that's where we all need to be. Is I, I need to be more kind. I need to be more gracious. I think that's where Christians are. We need to do more. I think it's unchristian for anybody in here to say, you know what, I'm, I'm, I've done enough of that. No, we need to do more. I need to do more. Help us, God. Help me to be, to show more grace because I know the grace of God. Help our church to be that. And God, if there's anybody in here who's an unbeliever and they're on their way to destruction, let them see the horrors of hell. But let them see the, the wonderful grace of God in providing a way of escape. And let them today, in their hearts, give their lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn to Him by faith. And we ask and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.